Okay. Uh, I want to introduce to you the person who's going to be sharing today. So Christian, come on up here. Um, this is Christian Compost. And I got to know Christian uh, about two years ago after he came to our church through an ad in The Onion that he and his wife Ricky saw. And they had to come and figure out if it was a joke, if it was for real. So it's for real. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still here. So um, a few things about Christian, though. He... Um, Graduated from Metro with a degree in philosophy, and he is currently an intern teacher at Montessori School of Wash Park. And he is an avid blogger. He loves to blog. And uh, he also loves Don. <laughs> I never pronounce it. Quick Soddle. You know him. Chipotle. Okay. So let me um, pray for Christian this morning, and he's going to share with us. Father, um, thank you for Christian. I just appreciate who he is and, and the. Um, the joy that I see in him, the joy that I know comes from a very deep place of having to really wrestle with you. So um, I pray for him this morning as he shares a bit of his story and the words that you've laid on his heart. And uh, Lord, I love it how your gospel comes through in each one of our stories. And whatever it is that Christian shares this morning that speaks to each person individually, that I just pray that you'd really let us pay attention to that. Um, because oftentimes our internal struggle is the same uh, with you, and our journey often looks very similar, uh, even though the outward things may look different. So um, I pray for Christian that you would just anoint his, his words and his heart and the things he's going to share with, with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter Sellers is Harundi Vibakshi. Why would anyone invite him to the party? Party where everyone comes and anything goes. You're my sugar. I'm not your sugar. Sixties, right? Woof. Um, that was from the 1968 film *The Party*, 
I love this film for a number of reasons. I'm a huge Peter Sellers fan. I found on eBay or Amazon, some one of those, uh, a picture of him as, as Inspector Clouseau, and it was signed, and I got it for $9.95, and there was no authentication, but I don't care, because it has Peter Sellers' signature, or someone's forged Peter Sellers' signature, and I love him, so. But mostly, I love this movie because of the fact that the script was only 63 pages long and it intended to allow for Sellers to improvise and ad-lib the entire film. See, the story was pinned and all the characters had their roles, but Sellers just pretty much did whatever he wanted. Uh, as if he was somehow both completely outside of the story while at the same time being the story, what it was all about. Well, anyway, there's another kind of story like that, uh, one that you may find all too familiar. And like any good story goes, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'd been raised thinking that the story went like this. It was all good. We, humanity, screwed it up. Now we suffer and we suffer and we suffer, but then, hey, there's heaven, so it's a happy ending making the suffering all worth it. I'm no Quentin Tarantino, so I'm not one to start a story all willy-nilly and start it over here and then jump back. I'm just going to simply start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created, and everything was good. That is, until we came along with our free will and messed it up. This was not only what I seemed to be taught growing up and that I believed, but also tried to make sense of from the time I was a kid. I mean, I remember coming to what seemed like a very logical, a very grown-up concept involving God's intended will versus his actual will and somewhere his allowed will mixed in the mix. And us, humanity, messing up God's intended will, but, but not his actual will. I decided that what made sense to believe and what seemed to make the story work was that God's sovereignty could extend as far as our free will and go no further. In the end, the choice was up to us. And like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, which I count as the final Indiana Jones, I just ignore that fourth one made. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, we can either choose poorly or choose wisely. And what kind of... We did what the story seemed like was that we chose poorly from the start. And now it's like God's doing his darndest to fix our mistake. That seemed to me what Jesus was. He, he was the once and for all fix-all for all our mess-ups. And this was to be a good thing. Yet I still couldn't shake the feeling that this undermined the real Jesus. He wasn't just a cosmic band-aid for our mess-ups. Here's another in the beginning you all might have heard of. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. Now, as you may know, if you've been with our church for a while or have heard Peter speak, or, hey, there's all sorts of handy-dandy equipment now we were talking about, Bible software all over the place, uh, you may know that the word in Greek is logos, which translates as logic, reason, meaning, and even plot. 
So, so Jesus, the plot, comes into our world, every one of us. German philosopher Johann Herder said this, we live in a world we ourselves create. That means that Jesus, the plot, enters our story. The one we try to write about ourselves or maybe even the one we believe is written about us. The point is that scripture says he comes into our world. Is this even evident to us? Further, can we even control it or have any choice in the matter? C.S. Lewis thinks it more like this. In Mere Christianity, he writes, Imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild it. And at first, you might understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and he's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You yourself knew these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house away in a, hurts, in a way that hurts abdominally and does not seem to make any sense. What is he up to? The explanation? He's building quite a different house from the one you had thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought to have a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace, and he intends to come and live there himself. Personally, I like to think of it more like maybe inviting an Irishman into your life. And I know that everybody claims to have some Irish in them. I don't care what your background is. It gets around St. Patty's Day and everyone's like, oh, I'm Irish. So don't take offense. Just run with it. I think it's like inviting an Irishman into your house. He comes in very polite and charming, wins you over with his accent. Right, of course, love. Right, right, one, two, three. So you choose to invite him to stay. You don't mind. He's fun to, have in ba- uh, uh, fun to have about. He's Irish, after all. He's the life of the party. But then he gets comfortable. Maybe orders a couple of kegs or turns water into wine and invites a lot of his friends and family over. And the party you thought you were in control of gets out of hand. Things maybe start getting destroyed. And the very one you thought could help you escape from this world, your life from the pain and suffering, ends up causing more. The life of the party becomes the death of the party. You know, I can't prove this, and I know it's not the case for everyone, but I think a lot of people think of Jesus as a means of escape, that this life of suffering will be over by the simple act of choosing Jesus. Choice, I I love it. I mean, when we think of choice, it's so powerful to us. We remain in control. We chose the act which caused us to fall. We choose Jesus to fix all our mistakes. But we still get the last word. We stay in control. It still remains about us and our egocentric stories, right? I know I was under that assumption at least. In the beginning, I was born. I was a surprise baby born to military parents, stationed in Berlin, good Christian family, raised right, loved right, Reaganomics all the way. I enjoyed a great life moving around as a kid, some which, as my mom will tell you, I didn't appreciate at the time, um, full of culture and experiences. I was also diagnosed immune gamma globulin deficiency meaning I was a sick kid in and out of the hospital 
on a regular basis. Be it through this or by nature, I grew up not only one of those kids without fear who idolized MacGyver, absolutely, but a very independent child. I asked Jesus into my heart in my room alone around the age of five. No altar call, no emotional Sunday school, no worship leader playing the bridge for 10 minutes until you feel God right there. (laughs) Just me in my room choosing Jesus. Most of this is a moot point in the context of what I'm sharing today, but I will say this. My early life and struggles therein led to a view of God as one who changes the story. He changes my story, but I still remained the protagonist. I still remained what it was all about. When I was in seventh grade, almost 13, I was sexually and physically assaulted by five boys on a sports team I knew and ought to have been able to trust. This happened two separate occasions on bus rides home from sporting events I was involved in. The part that really hit the hardest though was this. When they assaulted me, call it rape if you want, part of the assaults involved cutting my chest and stomach in multiple places and whispers into me that this was so that every time I saw those scars, Every time I was naked and exposed and I saw myself, I saw those scars, I would remember everything else that happened to me, everything else they did. You know, it's strange to think that now that's almost half my life ago. But I've got to be honest, the reverberations of that event and the journey since are much more of the story than the event itself. After the rape, assault, I thought the story changed. I was out of control. I'd lost all of it. See, them cutting me, that act worked. I was reminded of that event every time I saw the scars. But it wasn't a remembrance of what was done to me. No, my, my own independence and natural self-reflection and the fact that I always looked inwardly and channeled it inwardly had been working against me. What I was reminded of time and time again when I was exposed was not what they did to me, but my utter lack of action. As I said, both times we're on a big tour bus where my coach and even the bus driver at the front of the bus, not 30 yards away, and I didn't cry for help. I didn't try to fight them, which later in a rage was proven I could do so. And I didn't flee. I just lay there paralyzed. In fact, the second time it occurred, I just pretended I was asleep. So began a shift in my view of this story, in my view of God. Yeah, I hated what happened to me, but more than that, I hated, hated that I did nothing. I began to cut myself on the very scars that were forced onto me and into me. And that self-loathing seeped into every aspect of my life. And with it, I I cut more. Every time I felt out of control, I cut. Every time I struggled with self-esteem, with loving and accepting myself, I cut. If I just felt bad, I cut. Later in life, when I found I could manipulate relationships, particularly with women, to get what I wanted, I cut. It got to the point 
where some days I had to change shirts halfway through the day because they hadn't stopped fully bleeding. Where did God go? Why was this allowed to happen? And further, why was I allowed to go on doing to myself what had been done to me? Why was I allowed to believe a lie? Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation seeks signs. But how could he say that to me? How could I trust substance when all the apparent signs pointed the opposite way? Of course I'd seek signs. If only to know that substance wasn't all madness and lies. In the 1972 musical, Man of La Mancha, Cervantes tells the story of Don Quixote and the woman he loved, his Dulcinea. Dulcinea was really Aldonza, a, a kitchen maid who gave herself away for money. But she held on to the belief that it was her choice to give herself away. In one song, she ends it with, but I am me, I am Aldonza, and what I give, I choose to give. I can't sing it as well as Sophia Loren, but just roll with it. Well, the perceived madman, Don Quixote, sees her as something different. And he dares her to dream the impossible dream, seeing life and herself as he sees her. But after he, she finally is captivated by his love, as you'll see in this clip, she still ends up being hurt. She ends up being taken and raped over and over again by a group of mule herders who then leave her on the side of the road. And what she believed that she could choose to give was taken from her, and she was left powerless. When once she was captivated by the mystery of love, now it became a despising of it believing it to be the lie. Listen to their words, and I want you to really see if it resonates with something in you. Madness and lies. They shall be punished who did this crime. Crime? You know the worst crime of all, being born. For that you get punished your whole life. Oh, Enough of that. Get yourself to a madhouse. Rave about nobility where no one can hear. My lady. I'm not your lady. I'm not any kind of a lady. For a lady has modest and made only as And the virtue a blind man could see that I lack It's hard to develop these maidenly airs In a stable and flat on your back Won't you look at me, look at me, God Won't you look at me, look at the kitchen Slut reeking of sweat Born on a dung heap to die on a dung heap A strumpet man use and forget If you feel that you see me not quite as my virgin of best Cross my palm with a coin and I'll willingly show you the rest Never deny 
But you are Dulcinea. Take the clouds from your eyes and see me as I really am. You have shown me the sky, but what good is the sky to a creature who never do better than crawl? Of all the cool bastards who badgered and battered me, you are the cruelest of all. Can't you see what your gentle insanities do to me? Rob me of anger and give me despair. Blows and abuse I can take and give back again. Tenderness I cannot bear. So please torture me now with your sweet dulcineas no more. I am no one and nothing. I'm only a daughter the whore. Now and forever, you are my lady dulcinea. Jesus was asked about his relationship with God, to God, and specifically how to talk to him, to commune with God. He said the structure should look like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, that is, in our world, our story, as it is in heaven. Give us for today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, in that dark time, no, in those dark times, my prayer hasn't been anything like that even if I pretended it to be, and I got pretty good at pretending. In reality, under the guise of, of praying the Lord's Prayer, mine sounded more like Aldonza, screaming to God, of all the cruel bastards that badgered and battered me, you're the cruelest of all. Blows and abuse I can take and give back again, but tenderness I can't bear. And I'll be honest, as I said, I still can feel that way sometimes, a lot. Hurt still happens in life. Suffering still happens in life. Death still happens in life. And I find myself again and again powerless. When I shared my testimony at house church, I was asked how I got from there to hear? How did I get from sadness and suffering to healing? How, how did I get from, from that place to where I can share and, and, and seem like I've got it all together? You know, it's funny, looking back on that question, it feels like I still oscillate between there and here, between being in control and being without it, between feeling shamed and feeling loved, between crying out, not my will but yours be done, God, and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Between feeling like Aldonza 
and feeling like Dulcinea. The truth is that it didn't have anything to do with what I could control. It, it, it feels like how I got from there to here and how I keep getting to here or, or getting to this state of, of rest and peace. It's not in my power. It still doesn't seem to be. How did I get here? How am I still moving forward? I was romanced here. And I'm still being romanced. He romanced me. He's wooing me all this time, whether I know it or not. A romance to exposure so I could feel and know just what this love truly is. His love. I'm still learning this. All the while, this romance feels as if God comes in and he just whispers so close. Christian, let it go. Time and time again, with things I pick up and feel like, I need to bear this burden of shame. I need to bear this. This should have been in my control. God just whispers, Christian, let it go. See, I've been healed from the event. I want you guys to know that. That event, I've been healed from. But the hardest lesson, loving and learning love and accepting it, I'm still in that process of learning. And more importantly, listening to God and really letting it go. I think that's the end that gets me more about the Lord's Prayer. It isn't the prayer itself, but the closing. Amen. Amen is my best Hebrew impression of it. See, amen is a Hebrew word which translates quite literally as let it be. So, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Whisper words of wisdom, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Whisper words of wisdom. Amen. See, when we say amen, linguistically speaking, we're letting it go. We're letting it be. And we'll get a chance to really proclaim that amen in the, in the last song after communion. But know that, that when we say amen, after any prayer or just simply in saying it, the physical act is this. We drop it. We let it go. I can't stand here and say that it's just as simple as that. It's not. As I said, I'm still learning it. And there's times where I feel like things that I gave to God that I let go, I find I'm still holding on to. In fact, I can tell you that letting it be can quite possibly mean the death of me. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it is in, in that death that I'm doing as God said and letting it go. And vice versa, maybe that, that just as in my death I'm letting it go, maybe by letting it go, I'm dying. You know, Harold Crick was doomed to die in the film Stranger Than Fiction. But through some sort of magic, he was cued into the plot of the story. He was able to hear the storyteller and know what the point of his life was, what the plot of the story was. 
In the film, he meets with a literature professor in hopes of discovering just what's going on. He's told that in order to figure out whom the author is, he needs to figure out what the genre of his story is. In this case, either comedy or tragedy. And it astounds me how much I am, how much we are, humanity, is similar to the, Carol, the character of Harold Crick in this regard. We desire to figure out the storyteller by judging our lives based on whether we believe them to be comedies or tragedies. And it can swing either way. We look at ourselves and judge the storyteller based on the story we only know thus far. Funny thing is, it still doesn't seem to allow us to escape our fate, death. In the end, Harold Crick must die. In the end, we all must die. Yet in Harold's case, he's allowed to see the story in its entirety. He's allowed to know the plot, and what he decides is that in the end, the story's just better with his death. And what began as an inevitable fate becomes a willing sacrifice of self. Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Not until recently was I curious about that last little bit. This is your spiritual act of worship. I found in studying it that the word spiritual in the Greek is logikos, logical, reasonable, rational. So, so offer yourself as living sacrifices for this is simply your logical act of worship. More than that, the root word of logikos is logos, logic, meaning, reason, plot, Jesus. My Jesus act of worship is self-sacrifice. Could it be that in my death, life is found? Could, could killing the plot of my story mean discovering the plot of the story? Could it be that in suffering, in my utter powerlessness, I hear God scream to me, scream to his creation, his children, his bride, now and forever you are my lady Dulcinea. When Don Quixote was asked by Aldonza the simple question, why? Why do you do these things? Why do you seek to save? What do you want from me? I feel it's a question whether we like to admit it or not, we ask to God. What do you want from me? But I believe that God's response is just what the perceived madman, Don Quixote, told Dulcinea. I ask of my lady that I may be allowed to serve her that I may hold her in my heart, that to her I may dedicate each victory, and when at last I do give my life, that I may give it in the sacred name of Dulcinea. What if this is what the real party looks like? Jesus, body broken, bloodshed. The Jesus who in John 13 gets down on his hands and knees, bearing himself and in our case, he'd be bearing his wounds and his scars so that we're not made to feel uncomfortable. And he washes our feet, making us clean. Well, that's the type of party that would require sorrow. 
if only to be out on the other side. That type of party requires pain. That type of party requires death. But through it, our frail, maybe even broken bodies dance. Our sorrow turns to joy. Our sobs of pain turns to cries of laughter. And in the end, victory. He comes in a world of iron to make a world of gold. And on the night before the day when he achieved this, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, all sins. You know, I struggled a lot with my cutting. More than that, I struggled where Christ was in it. I prayed one service here in guilt and in confusion. Where was Jesus in my act of masochism and cutting? Clear as day, he told me, Christian, I'm in the blood. The blood you shed and I shed. Now, I don't want to make it seem as if Jesus or I am excusing uh, the act of self-mutilization. But hear this. Revelations 12 says that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. This, this is the blood of the Lamb. And in the Greek, the word testimony is martyria, where we get our word martyr. So when we let it be, we let it go. When we willingly sacrifice ourselves for the good of the story, however that seems in, in, in God's personal relation to each one of your stories, when we martyr ourselves, Jesus is there. So come to the table, take the bread, dip it into the cup, the cup which Jesus wants you to know that he shares not only with you but for you. The light cups are juice and the darker wine, and both are the blood of Jesus poured out to turn pain into joy, to turn suffering into the party, and ultimately to turn life into death. Amen, huh? Well, years ago, I know Christian was um, in the back of that bus trying to fight off his enemies and yet feeling very powerless and paralyzed and confused and found he had no voice. Today he had a voice. And today, Christian, you have fought off the enemies of shame and of lies, and you have cried out with your voice. And today you have also cut. You have cut right through the darkness and right through the lies and proclaimed the power of Christ today. So we thank you for that. Now, I know that some of you in this room can directly relate to the Christian story. Um, statistics alone would tell us that one in three to four women and one in five to six guys have been sexually abused or assaulted in some way, which means that, you know, a fourth or a fifth of you out there have been through something similar directly. And others of you here have a different story, and the facts are different, but I know that you can identify, as I can, with hearing the enemy 
you know, the lies of the enemy that whisper in your ear, maybe feeling powerless with situations that you're facing, longing for your cry to be heard in a place where you can just let it be. I know we all carry scars, and when the enemy whispers in our ear things like loser, failure, stupid, your damaged goods, you're worthless, you're ugly, you'll never measure up. He wants to keep us silent. He wants to shut us up in our own little hell and keep us isolated, believing the lies and keeping us in shame. But we all desperately need to hear the whisper of Jesus who gives us that new name, Dulcinea. And do you know what Dulcinea means? Does anybody know? I looked it up. Sweetheart, sweetness. So that's what he wants to call you. That's the new name he wants to give you. So today's Community Life Weekend, and the, you know, part of the power of community is that we have a chance to come together in small groups and Bible studies and classes and dinners for eight and all kinds of things where we get to share our stories, pieces of our stories, and come along inside one another. When we're in community, we get to share our story and have a voice and help break the power of the enemy's lies and shame over us. We get to speak the truth to one another and speak new names and the true value that we have in one another, that you're beautiful, you're awesome, you're cool, I like you, I want to be around you, you're forgiven, and you're not alone. And every time you share your story, and when Christian shared his story, it's like an invitation to the party of saying it's okay to come out, it's okay to come out of from behind the wallflower or the escape artist or whatever you tend to do in a party, it's okay to come out and join in with the party that, that we want to celebrate together. And even if you're thinking, you know, I don't need that. You know, I've had plenty of healing. I've already been there. Well, maybe someone else needs to hear your story that you can help them and walk alongside them. So that's why we invite you into community.